You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, it is uh, good to come together. Again, we want to welcome those who are joining us online. Uh, Again, we recognize for a variety of reasons you may not be able to be here this morning, but we're glad that you're with us. And uh, uh, if you would, just let us know that you joined us uh, via online. That would be great. Well, we are uh, looking at the book of Romans. Uh, Last week, we we touched on this, but this week, we're going to really dive into it. But you and I are at war. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ... The day that you put your faith in him, you begin a battle. You begin a war that is certain. There is a war uh, with a certain end that we can be guaranteed as we understand the scriptures. The war that that, that, that happens is a result of our sin. And Christ has come. We're going to remember this together in the Lord's Supper later in the service here. But the Lord has come. And through his work on the cross, sin and death have been defeated, and we only await the final victory. But between now and glory, you are at war. And um, not too many of us were around in World War II. Anyone, I don't know if anyone here was around in World War II. We, we, We have had enough decades now where I think maybe we've lost a little bit of an appreciation for what a war is, a a battle where you're fighting for freedom, a battle where there are wins and there are losses. If you look back on something like World War II, Canada was, and the Allies were not, they didn't win every battle. There were battles that they lost, but Ultimately, they won the war, and so is the case for you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sadly, this morning, we fail. There are battles that you will face, that you will lose, and it will be so until glory. Now, it's one of these messages where it can be really discouraging, but it can also be really hopeful. Embrace both, right? I think as we look at the text this morning, we see Paul embracing both. It is discouraging that I continue to battle and sometimes I fail. But Christ wins, and that's what we want to we remember this morning. The other thing we want to remember as we look at this text is that when we lose a battle, we don't quit, Right? Can you imagine what would have happened if the Allies, when they lost a battle, they were just like, well, they won the battle, so let's just give up. Let's give up on the war. They just waved the white flags, right? Can you imagine where our world would be today if that was the case? But as believers, again, think about your own personal walk. Where would you be if you did not continue to battle? You would not be in a good place if you just give up in the war, This is something we have to guard against when we look at this text, right? We look at the text, we see, I'm going to battle against sin until when? Until I see Jesus. So, I guess, since I'm going to continue to battle, who cares? 
I'll just kind of, you know, give a half-hearted try because I'm never going to fully have victory in this life anyway, so let's just give up. Again, Paul is not teaching that as we look at this text. So, but we are going to see an honest look at the war that all of, us rage, uh, all of us wage on a daily basis. So turn in your Bibles to Romans 7, 14 to 25. Romans 7, 14 to 25. We're, we're, we're concluding. We've, we've seen the foundation laid in chapter 6 of our foundation, the hope that we have in Him. Here in this chapter, we're seeing the friction that's involved between now and glory. And then as we get into chapter 8, Following Easter, we're going to see the focus that we need to have as believers. So the foundation, the friction, and the focus are all part of this picture of salvation. And to just look at one chapter, you're going to have a very skewed view of salvation, right? So it all fits together. Sometimes, especially a church like this, it takes like verse, one verse at a time, and it's like months go by and you forget like what happened. It's good for us to maybe every now and then read it all together and remember the full picture here. But there is a friction in what we are positionally and what we see in our lives practically still as a result of sin in our lives. So, verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I, want, I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we are so thankful for your word. God, this morning, even as we consider this text, we understand that when it comes to your word, our natural inclination is to rebel is to walk contrary to all that you say. And God, this is a wrestling that we face even this morning. God, we pray that you would help us to submit by the power of your spirit. Lord, help us to submit to what your truth says today in our lives. God, this is not a topic that we enjoy talking about. But Lord, it is so necessary that we do. God, I pray that you would humble us this morning as we look at these verses. That, God, we would take honest stock of where we're at. That, Lord, we are still sinners who fail. God, 
May your grace, may the gospel be so much sweeter as we understand these things this morning. God, I thank you for the Apostle Paul. And that, Lord, it was your good will that he would write these things down. That, Lord, we would not be without hope. But that, Lord, we would understand that this is the reality of every true believer. And so, God, would you lead us, would you guide us by the power of your Spirit this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I just want to, before we get into the text, it's just, it's helpful for us to understand that there are differing views on this text, on these particular verses. There are some who say that, as I've already set up, that these are the things being said of the Apostle Paul as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. These things are true of his life. There are others who say, no, this is not Paul, the Christian. This is Paul before he came to faith in Christ. This is the wrestling that he had before he came to salvation in Jesus Christ. Then there are a third category who are saying, it's actually not about Paul. It's about um, some other person and the struggles that they had pre-faith. Now, I wanted to say, and this is important for us to understand these things, and, and especially in the light of uh, attack mode in the church, we can have differing views on this and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. All right? You can have differing views. I think the majority of, the, of you would probably take the, this is Paul as a believer, but there are godly men and women who see it in a different way, and they are still orthodox, okay? So just, I want us to understand that. So if you meet somebody who, you know, this week you're talking about the text, and you're like, I always thought that was Paul, not the believer. And, and you guys have a conversation. Spur one another on. Don't be like, I don't even know if you're saved, right? Like, that's not what we do, okay? So again, godly men who, who differ on this text, but I do believe that this is the Apostle Paul speaking about the daily battle that he faces with sin, the same battle that if we're being honest this morning, you and I experience and feel as well. And so as we look at this inner battle that goes on within Paul, we see uh, three different things. First, we see the internal, internal desire of the heart. We see the internal desire of the heart. Back to verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Now, as we go through these verses this morning, I'm not going to do the typical 14, 15, 16, because if you'll note, as we read through, it's like cyclical, right? He's hitting the same thing over and over and over again. And almost every verse, there's like this, but this. There's, there's things being contrasted over and over again. And what we see contrasted is the battle between the inner man, the good that, that the new man that God has brought about, and the flesh. And so we're going to focus first on that inner man, the, the, the good that we see as a result of what Christ has done in our life. He begins by saying, for we know that the law is spiritual. Now, again, context, remember, remember what we talked about last week, 7 through 13. The problem is not the law. The problem is sin. 
verses 8 and 11, the sin, the sin is like ready to pounce. It wants to get you. The law is not the problem. And he is affirming that by saying the law is spiritual. In other words, it's from God. He affirms that the law is from God, that it is sent to us by his spirit, that it is a good thing. The law is not the problem. As a, as a believer, every one of us understands that the word of God is just that. It is this, this, this book, the words that are contained in it, we believe that it is all from God. We believe what it says in 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when Moses wrote these things down, he wrote them, but they are the word of God. When Paul writes these things that we're reading now, it is from God himself. And so the law is good. In a moment, we'll talk through the second half of the verse, all right? But I want to just focus on the positive first, and then we're going to look at the negative. But note the tense. This is, again, why I believe that this is Paul the believer. He has changed to a present tense verb here. He's talking about his present everyday experience. That is the natural way to understand this. You can get there grammatically, and there's different things that English-wise are beyond my mind, but I believe that as the Romans sat there and he said, this is what I am experiencing, they would have believed this is what he's experiencing. So, important to note, this love of the law, it comes about as a result of your placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we look at the whole of Romans. We didn't care about the law. We wanted to walk in rebellion against the law. But as believers, we've been given a new heart and a new mind as a result of the new covenant, right? A new heart, a new mind. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, that we've been made new creations, and what has happened as a result of that, we, we also have new desires. We love the Word of God. What we see as we look at these different verses, we see three characteristics of the internal desire of the heart. There are three different characteristics. First, when it comes to the new man, you and I who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, we defer to the law. We defer to the law. In other words, we know that the Word of God is good. That it's better. is Isaiah 55, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that his ways are better than our ways. We affirm that. In verse 16, he says, Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. He agrees with the law that it is good. Now, he said at the beginning of this verse that he did not do what he wanted to do. So even when I am, this is the, this is the crazy part, right? Even between sanctification, sorry, justification and glorification in this, in this time, I'm never truly fully doing what I want, right? Because when I am doing what the law says, who's not happy? The flesh. The flesh is not happy, right? It didn't get what it wanted, but the Spirit did. And so, and vice versa, as we go through these texts, but we love the law. MacArthur puts it like this, the more profoundly he is committed to the direction of the Holy Spirit in his life, 
The deeper his love for the Lord Jesus Christ becomes, the deeper his sense of God's holiness and majesty becomes, and the greater will be his longing to fulfill God's law. I pray that that's the experience of everyone here this morning. The more you grow, the more you want to walk in obedience to what God's word says. Then he says this in verse 18, note, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not not the ability to carry it out. This is the second characteristic we see, the desire to obey the law. Again, looking back to Romans 3, there is no one who does good, not even one, right? Not even trying. But in Christ, now that you're in Christ, there's this desire to do what is right. But then what does he say? but not the ability to carry it out. And again, if you've been tracking with us, this has been his argument about the law. The law is good, but it is powerless to help you do that which you need to do. And in our flesh, we are powerless to carry out what we ought to carry out. Verse 19, and once again, he states that he wants to do the good. He wants to do the good. That is, he wants to follow the law. He wants to walk in obedience to God's word. So it's not only an acknowledgement that the law is good, but there is this desire to do the good, right? It's not just to, to have this head knowledge and say, yeah, the word of God is good, and then I just do whatever I want. There's this desire to live according to it. Again, now look down at verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is close to hand. This word here, I think, I think both in 21 and 23, when he says, for I find it to be a law, I think it's, I find it to be a principle. I find it to be a rule. This is what I see over and over and over again in my life, that when I want to do right, guess what? Guess who's right there with me? Evil. Evil is right there, and it wants to have its way in my life as well. So this desire to do good, but then evil is right there. Again, MacArthur says this, lingering sin does battle with every good thing a believer desires to do. Every good thought, every good intention, every good motive, every good word, and every good deed. Sin is right there. A different context, we're in Genesis 4, 7, you think about the, the, the Abel, Right? Cain and Abel. Abel's done the right thing, but Cain, what? Has not. And, and said, what? Sin is crouching at your door, right? That's the picture here. It's crouching at your door. It wants you to not do what you ought to do. There's a battle every time. When you desire to do what God wants you to do, evil is right there trying to persuade you to do the opposite, When you intend to do good, the temptation is there to simply leave it with the intention, right? Just leave it. That's good enough. When you do the right thing, there lies the temptation to be prideful that you did the right thing, right? So even in doing the good, there's this like, oh, look what I just did, right? Evil is there continually close at hand. Lingering sin is still battling you at every opportunity, So Paul, he defers to the law, 
He desires to do the good. He desires to do the law. Thirdly, he delights. He, he tells us that he delights in the law. So he defers to it. He desires to do it. He delights in the law. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. He's, he's jumping off of now verse 21. He's explaining why he wants to do the good. It's because he delights in the law of God. To delight is to be happy as a result of the pleasure derived from some experience or state. He, he, he loves God's word. I pray that that's true of every single person here this morning. That you love God's word. You delight in it. That, that over time you've tested it every, and every time you see that it is good. When you walk in faithfulness to it. The Word of God is such a treasure for every believer. Do you know that this morning? It's not only something that we should meditate on and study, but it is something that should be lived out in our lives. The Word of God is good. The law of God is good. Cranfield says this, The Christian delights in God's law, embraces it with gladness, loves it as the revelation of God's good and merciful will. It should not be exceptional that we make a really big deal about the Word of God here, right? This should be the case in every church around the world. Every church should say, we got nothing, but we have this. You and I, what do we have to offer? But we have the Word of God. It is our treasure, and we will live according to it. It is our standard that we live by. Before faith, eh, whatever, who cares? Some old dusty book. We, like, we don't know where it came from. We don't want to even think about where it did come from. We just want to do what we want to do. But now that you're in faith, there should be this growing desire, growing love for the Word of God. And it comes from where? The inner man, he says. It comes from the inner man. We see Paul talking about the inner man elsewhere. 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self, the flesh, is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Right? Day by day. Week by week. Year by year. What's happened to this? Right? Start, like, I don't know about you, but my skin's starting to sag. Starting to get some wrinkles. Right? Wake up with new soreness, you know, you're like, well, I didn't even do anything yesterday, right? Like, like, the outer man is wasting away, but by God's grace, the inner man is being renewed day after day. How does he do that? Through his word. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. As a result of you placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he, you are now a new creation. This is what he's talking about. He's giving you a new heart and a new mind. And so as a result, we defer to the law. We agree that it is good. We desire to obey the law and we delight in it. This morning, if you're like, actually, that's not true of me. That's a problem. 
If you look at the word of God and you're kind of like, I'll think about it. I'm not sure whether I agree with that or not. I heard a scholar, he had a different interpretation than the plain reading of the text. I think maybe I'm going to go with that. That's a problem. If you don't know where your Bible is in your home, that's a problem. You ought to be delighting in it. Your goal should be every day to say, okay, God, what does your word say? I want to walk in faithfulness to you. And if that's not true of you, then you're either not in faith right now or you're in a really bad place right now in your faith. Those are the only two options. So can I just encourage you this morning to renew your desire, that inner desire that God has given you through your faith in him and get into his word. So that's the good news that Paul brings out here. But here's the bad news. The nemesis to the internal desire of the heart is this, the indwelling sin of the flesh. There is still the indwelling sin of the flesh Look back to verse 14. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but then he says this of himself, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Sold under sin. As we look at these verses, again, we're going to see three characteristics of indwelling sin. First is that it dominates. Indwelling sin dominates. It wants to have its place over you. Now, for those who say, This is not Paul the believer. This is one of the key verses that they would point out. How is it that Paul could say that he's sold under sin? Look back to Romans 6. He, He said that if we are in Christ, that we have died to sin. If we are in Christ, we've been set free from that old slave master sin. How is it that he could still say that he is sold under sin? Well, he's talking about The fact that we are still in the flesh. We are still in these bodies. And these bodies still desire to do sin. Now before Christ, there's no battling. Right? No battle, no war. You're just defeated. You're just enslaved. There is no opportunity for doing any good. But now that you are in Christ, there is this battle that rages and flesh desires to get its way over you still. The only way that's ending is for you to be removed from this flesh, this body of sin, this humanity that we still live in. And we need to understand that this is true of us. Calvin says this, Paul is depicting in his own person the character and extent of the weakness of believers. The flesh, the natural man, is unable to walk in obedience to the law because he is under the control of sin and the flesh still desires to rebel against the commands of God. This flesh that still clings to you and I as new creations. I like the way Paul puts it in Galatians 5.1. 
For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. There is a battle that's going on. The flesh, the sin is real. Now, I probably don't need to tell you that this morning. But there are some who think that you can actually get to perfectionism. There are some that think that, you, that this battle with sin can be ended at some point in this life. That while I'm still in the flesh, that I could somehow win. That is very dangerous theology. Because usually that, what that means is I'm now living under my own legalistic rules and I'm checking off my own legalistic rules just as Paul did pre-faith, and now I think that I no longer sin. I heard an illustration this last week, just how devastating this theology can be. J.I. Packer had come to faith in Christ, and he was around a lot of people who believed that you could get to perfectionism. And he tried, and he tried, and he tried, but he just kept failing. He just kept falling in his sin, and, and it didn't matter. Like, it, he couldn't even get through a day, and he, he would realize that he had sinned that day. And he got to the point where he was actually suicidal, because he did not think that he must be truly a believer, because he was not having the victory that others claimed. Listen to the Apostle Paul. As a mature believer, he's saying, I'm still battling sin in my life. There's still this indwelling sin that seeks to dominate my life. Sin not only what seeks to dominate, it seeks to devastate. It's the second characteristic. Verse 15, for I do not understand my actions, says Paul, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. In the inner man, he, he, he knows that the word of God is true, that it is, it is what it is to be followed, but what happens in his life? He does the very thing that he hates. He, he sees sin for what it is. That's a really good word, by the way. We ought to hate sin, not just be like kind of indifferent to it, but we ought to hate it. We ought to be devastated when we do the very thing that we hate. Can you relate to Paul, what he's saying here? You wake up in the morning, right? Today's a new day. I even woke up when my alarm went off. I didn't hit snooze 14 times. I got up. I got my coffee. I got my Bible. I'm reading. I'm loving what God's Word says. It's so good. I'm praying. I'm submitting my will to Him. I get up from there, and I, and I, and I walk out the door. And by the time I get home that night, I realize what? I did not do all that I should have done that day. You look back just 
just yesterday. You used words that tore down instead of built up. You lost your temper. Or you used words of gossip. Or you had a lustful glance. Or you had idolatrous thoughts as you coveted what other people had. How did that happen? How could I do that which I hate? Can you relate to what Paul is saying here? The longer you are in Christ, the more devastating it is. You got this naivety when you're first getting saved. You're like, okay, these 10 things, I'm going to get those cleaned up in the next few months, and then it's all gravy. I'm just going to be exactly what Jesus wants me to be every day, every hour. It's going to be amazing. But as the time goes on, you're like, I'm still failing. Still, Still not doing everything that I ought to do. There is still... This sin that is present within me. And so it's devastating. Cranfield says this, In the Christian there is a continual growth and understanding of the will of God and therefore also an ever-deepening perception of the extent to which he falls short of it. And this growing knowledge and the deepening hatred of sin which accompanies it are not merely a phenomenon of the Christian human psychology, but the work of the Spirit of God. It is a good thing when you start seeing how far you are falling short. To walk in blindness, to be ignorant of it, is not bliss. And then Paul says this statement, so, then, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. That's an easy statement to understand when you first read it, right? Well, what, what are you saying, Paul? It's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Is he saying, like, I'm scot-free? Like, you know, in my spirit, I'm doing great, but in my flesh, I sin. So I'm going to go ahead and just let the flesh do its thing, and then I, you know, in spirit, I'm just going to do its, you know, like I'm a, a person who's kind of split in two. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is that sin is powerful. Again, thinking about the context, going back to verses 7 through 13, he's talking about the fact that in himself is sin and it is powerful. Again, verses 8 and 11, it is aggressive. It wants to have its way in your life. The law is not to blame. It is sin that leads to death. Paul further explains in verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I know that nothing good dwells in me. Paul, if you were to take, if, if Paul was to tell you where your self-esteem should be on a zero to 100 scale, what would he tell you it should be? Zero. In yourself. There is nothing good that dwells in you, in your flesh, in your natural man. There is nothing good. And the, and, and the more you grow in your love and knowledge of Christ, the more you see that. The, the more you understand it, that, that even in your good, there is evil present. The desire is there. But Paul fails. 
Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Again, he's talking about the power of sin in his life. Now, do you think that Paul had some victories in his life? Okay, let's not lose sight of that. We're not talking about a life that's like 100% of the time he failed. But what he's saying is, is that every day he's seeing sin still there in his life. This, this tendency to not do the good that he wants to do. This highlights another characteristic of indwelling sin. It defeats. It seeks to dominate. It devastates. It defeats. Now, remember when Paul is writing this letter. It's not like the next day after he gets saved, right? Like he's done some pretty incredible things for the Lord by this point in his life as he's writing this letter. He comes into a city and he leaves. There's a church there, right? This is the kind of man that Paul was. He was bold for the gospel and he got beaten as a result of it. He got persecuted as a result of it, but he continued to be bold for the sake of the gospel. And yet he's giving us a personal testimony about the wrestling with sin that he still has in his life. After all these years, even with having a close relationship with Christ, even with having some of the remarkable things that happened personally in his life, having the vision of Christ being taken to the third heaven, he still wrestles with sin in his life. There's this daily battle that's going on. And so he writes in verse 23, But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. These, these idea of members, he's brought it up in Romans 6, Romans 7, verse 4. He's talking about the parts of my body, my flesh. I see in my flesh there's a, another principle, another rule that's evident. That there's this war waging against the law of my mind. Against, again, this would be the parallel to my inner being. Against my new man that, make, that makes me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. This power of sin that dwells in his flesh, that is in the old man. Granville says this, it would seem that Paul here is here using the word law metaphorically to denote exercise power, authority, control, and that he means by the law of sin, the power, the authority, the control exercised over us by sin. It is a forceful way of making the point that the power which sin has over us is a terrible travesty, a grotesque parody of that authority of which belongs by right to God's holy law. It ought to be that we only would walk under the authority of the law, but instead we walk under the authority of sin in our lives. So on the one hand, we delight in the law in our inner being, but on the other hand, we are captive to the power of sin that dwells in our flesh. This, again, is a lifelong battle. Chester puts it like this. When we want to follow our sinful desires, the Spirit opposes us. When we want to follow our Spirit-inspired desire for holiness, the sinful nature opposes us. 
We never quite do what we want, for our old sinful nature stops us from serving wholeheartedly, and the Spirit stops us from sinning wholeheartedly. No wonder we experience life as a battle. There remains in a regenerate man a smoldering cinder of evil from which desires continually leap forth to allure and spur him to commit sin. This is the experience of all true believers. Galatians 5.17 puts it like this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For, those who are opposed to, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Day in and day out, this is our battle. So what are we to do if this is our battle? Do we just kind of like, oh, why battle? Who cares? It's just, at the end of the day, if we're not, if we're, you know, if I'm still going to lose these battles, then why try? What did the Apostle Paul say? Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Hopefully you've been writing these things down. This is really like, I'm flying through these things, but these things you should be meditating on and thinking of throughout the week in your battle against sin. Here's what Paul said about this battle. He recognizes as such not doing the things that he wants to do, but what does he do? Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect. Is Paul perfect? He says, no, I am not perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I keep striving. I keep working with all the strength that God gives me in this battle. I'm going to win some. Sadly, I'm going to lose some. But by God's grace, may I have more victories than defeats as he has his way in my life. Paul knew that there was going to be an end to the battling. We're not going to do this for eternity. Praise God. You got some decades ahead of you. Maybe you have some days ahead of you. Nobody knows the end but God alone. But for between now and then, we battle. We battle because sin devastates, sin seeks to dominate, and sin, sin defeats. We want to represent Christ well, so we battle. 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and, ex and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Which wage war against your soul. So we battle against these things. Well, we can see that Paul didn't achieve perfectionism, but maybe, maybe somebody else did. What about Peter? Peter's, I mean, upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter, maybe Peter... He got to perfectionism. We think about Peter and sin, we probably automatically think about what? 
the night that Christ was betrayed. Earlier in the day, I will never fall. Maybe you can relate to Peter, right? Lord, I will never fall. I would even die for you. Lord, I'm, I'm going to, you know, whatever it takes, I will not fall. Lord, I would never betray you. And Jesus said, before the night's done, you're going to deny me three times. And we read that as a result of his fear that he did exactly what Jesus said he would do. And three times he denied Christ. And there's that picture where Christ looks at him and he knows. He knows he did what he said he would never do. But then Peter went on to do some pretty incredible things. Jesus, in his grace, he, he asked him three times if he loves him. He says, Lord, you know that I do. God gives him his spirit. He preaches incredible sermons. Thousands of people come to faith in Christ. God uses him to, to reach out to all kinds of people, even Gentiles, which for Peter was like, are, are we supposed to be doing this? But he uses him to reach out to Cornelius. He sees that God is saving Gentiles as well. And years later, Paul comes along. Peter and Barnabas are in town. We read this in Galatians 2, 11 to 13. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is what Paul said. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the exact same word. Fearing the circumcision party. Same sin that Peter had struggled with early in his life, early in his faith in Christ, he's still struggling with years later. And it says in verse 13, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter didn't achieve perfection. Barnabas didn't. Paul didn't. You and I in this life will not get there. If you read all the letters, what about the letter to Corinth? Does that look like a bunch who has achieved perfectionism? Right? They still had a long ways to grow. Now, I'm pointing these things out to you, not to say to give up, but to say continue to strive. If our heroes of the faith struggled and wrestled with sin, so too will you and I. But there is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how Peter, or sorry, Paul is now going to change the direction. He's going to remind us of the power of the gospel in these last two verses. And then chapter 8, he's going to remind us of the power of the Spirit. This is how we have victory. This is how we have the opportunity on a daily basis to defeat sin. It's going to be the entire chapter 8 over and over again. He's going to talk about the power of the Spirit. But at the end of this chapter, he's showing us the power of the gospel. And in our third point here, the imminent deliverance of the Savior. He's showing us the imminent deliverance of the Savior. But first he says this, verse 24, Wretched man that I am. 
This is Paul. Again, remember, when Paul is writing this, he is the hero of the faith when you and I would look at him, but this is what he is saying of himself. One of his last letters that he wrote in Timothy, he says that he is the worst of all sinners. What does he mean by that? When he, he's not saying, well, I'm comparing myself to everyone else. He's just saying, when I look at my life, I can just see myself failing over and over and over again. Wretched man that I am. We would do well in the church to speak like Paul. How many people think they can't come to church because they're not good enough? Who would have given them the impression that you have to be good to go to church? Who would have given them that impression but what? Christians who walk around with their little happy, happy, you know, faces on, pretending that they no longer struggle with sin. What a lie. I mean, just that, we're in sin, church. When we continually live our lives as if we're not wrestling with these things, if it's like, well, poor Paul, you know, it seems like he really struggled with sin. I hopefully got it figured out in the end there. I mean, who cannot relate to the things we've just read? Like, yeah, Paul, I get it. So desiring to do what God wants you to do and yet falling over and over again. Church, let's be real with one another. We need each other's help. We need each other's strengthening. It's one of the graces of, that God's given us in this battle against sin is that we have one another. That when we, when we fall, that, that there's a brother or sister that say, come on, get up. I get it. It's hard. But God has given us the victory through Jesus Christ. Let's, let's strive together. I can help you. I'll, I'll keep you accountable. I, I need your help too. These are some of the areas that I'm wrestling with right now. Think of how much further we would be in the sanctification process if we just stopped playing make-believe and started really recognizing the reality that Paul is talking about here. As people come into this church, my prayer would that they would see, like, no, these people are not good people. They're, they're redeemed people. And they recognize that it, they are what they are only because of what Jesus Christ has done in their life. And they still fail at times, but, but by God's grace, they're, they're being transformed to look more like Jesus every day. Wretched man that I am. We are still sinners in need of a Savior. Just as much as on the first day that we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We are still in need of a Savior who is able to save us from this body of death, he says. Who is able to, to save us from this flesh. This, this picture is like there's a corpse still attached to the new man. And that is true of you and I. We still have this corpse that we're dragging around with us. 
And the only problem is this corpse is still yelling out, hey, do what I used to tell you to do. Come on. It's so much better than what the Word of God says. So Paul says, who will save me from this body of death? And right away, he doesn't wait around for the answer. He gives the answer. Thanks be to God, to Jesus Christ our Lord. Our hope is in Christ. It is not in our ability to do good things. It is in Christ and Christ alone. It is in His finished work on the cross. It is in His declaration that you are right before Him and that He will get you through this life. That He will complete the work that He began in you. There is a day coming when we will lose this body of death. That's where I love the I love the, the MacArthur's picture of like the greatest change has already happened in your life. You have become a new creation. And when you die, it's just subtraction. You just lose the body of, of this flesh and you are in glory. Can you imagine that how incredible that day is going to be, you guys? Like how like there's so many amazing things about heaven, but not ever wrestling or battling with sin again? Like, how incredible will that be? And that is what happens when we leave this earth, when this body of flesh is removed from us. And that will happen. This is the whole focus of chapter 8. It will happen. You get to the end of chapter 8, his love will never be separated from you. This groaning, and earlier in chapter 8, this groaning that we all have It will happen. He is going to remove this body of death one day, and we're going to be with him. And so he concludes, I myself serve the law with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There's going to continue to be this battle until we die. I think that's like the explanation point on the fact that this is talking about a believer. He's Proclaim that there is hope in Christ. And then, if you're discouraged this week, turn to chapter 8. Turn to chapter 8 and then start the focus. The focus is on the Spirit, not on the defeat. One last thing before we close here. I think as we look at this text, there is a pattern here for our daily failing. What we ought to do when we fail. What do we do? First, honest confession. There ought to be honest confession. Every time you fail, there's no excuse making, right? I was tired. I was hungry. I was whatever. You are a sinner. And there should be the honest confession to say, God, I sinned when I did X, Y, Z. I know that your law is good. And I failed you when I did not walk in obedience to you. And so it begins with honest confession when you fail. Secondly, it it is humble repentance. Humble repentance. Lord, your law is good. And I ought to have done it, but I did not do it. And so, Lord, forgive me. And after confessing that the Lord is good and that you failed, then you get up and you begin to walk again in His ways. No longer 
walking in your sin, but walking in His ways. When you get knocked down, you get back up again. And you walk in His ways. And so the second thing that we need to continually have is humble repentance. Every time, by the way, right? This should be the pattern. And then thirdly, we have hopeful endurance. Hopeful endurance. We win the war. We may have lost that battle, but we will win the war through Jesus Christ. We will be the victors through Him. And so we keep our eyes on Him. And those three things, they ought to be, let's be real, daily pattern. This should be the daily pattern of your life. Honest confession, humble repentance, hopeful endurance. You may have to do it many times a day. But we continue to keep our eyes on Christ. I close with Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that Christ, you won. Lord, you have defeated sin and death. And Lord, while we still battle here on this earth, we know that ultimately our victory is yours. Lord, we will see an end to these battles. One day we will battle no more, when, Lord, when we're in your presence. God, in the meantime, God, would you help us to battle well. Lord, may we not grow tired and weary. But Lord, may we press on as the Apostle Paul. Lord, thank you that you've given us your spirit. Thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you that you've given us the body of Christ in this battle. That Lord, as we look to you, that we can, can, see, can seek increasing victory in our life. Lord, we understand, as Paul said here, that we're never going to get there where it's 100%. But Lord, we know that there are victories in you on a daily basis, Lord, if we would just put our trust in you each and every moment. And so, God, help us to strive to do so for your glory, for your honor, and, Lord, for our good. Lord, your ways are good. We attest to that this morning. So, Lord, have your way in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.